0: I'm back. Nothing personal. Word of the day is 0.8, as in 0.8%. That's also the amount of money that Bloomberg spent on his campaign before dropping out. And it's the number of the percentage of players in the NFL who will pick up their new CBA and read all 456 pages. Nobody's going to read it. You read the highlights. You read about marijuana. You read about extra pay. 17 games, you get someone to sum it up for you, and then you vote. 0.8% at most. I got news for you. That's not a lot, but it's totally normal. It's too legal. It's too long. Breaking news here on Nothing Personal with CBS Sports HQ. You're watching. <clears throat> You're listening. Mark Cuban is poor. That is the breaking news. He was just fined $500 thousand dollars by the nba so what we are doing right now and nothing personal is we are passing around a collection plate because for an average american family that's about an 11 fine why was he fined because he tweeted he tweeted about referees and he got personal He didn't pay attention to what we talk about here on Nothing Personal because he started mentioning referees' names. He talked about how bad referees are in the NBA. He filed a protest. Mark Cuban is the biggest thorn in the side of Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, who goes to retreats with the commissioners of the other leagues and says, "Oi, are you lucky you don't have to deal with Cuban? In baseball, there was no way he'd get 23 votes to buy a team, and he claims how happy he is now. He'd love to be in the MLB fraternity. Why would he get fined $500,000? And why would the NBA release a three-page statement? It's unheard of. They fined him simply because he tweeted and went on the court in order to confront referees following a loss to the Atlanta Hawks back toward the end of February. He then went on to file a protest, trying to replay the last 11 or 12 seconds of the game because of a goaltending call that went against his team. But interestingly enough, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, for those of you who don't know, Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA. He did a three-page statement. I want to read you one paragraph of it because they buried it on page two, and it's the only paragraph that matters. It is a recognized part of sports for fans and the media to criticize officiating, but team executives must be held to a higher standard. A team owner's effort to influence refereeing decisions during and after a game creates the perception of an unfair competitive advantage and undermines the integrity of the game. Integrity of the game. He buried the most important paragraph. The reason why a fine like this is levied, one of the biggest fines you'll see in the NBA, it doesn't mean anything to Cuban. It's like you've been fined 10 bucks or betting a dollar, like in trading places with Mortimer. The integrity is what it's about because of gambling, the integrity of the game. That's why what happened with the Astros and the sign stealing scandal and how everyone is going crazy about that. It's because of the integrity of the game, and that only matters so much more today because of all the relationships that all the leagues have and all of the gambling that everyone does on these games. Is there a feeling that Mark Cuban, an owner of a team, can take the court, can berate a referee, or then tweet about a referee, and the referee will then either the next Mavericks game call it easier against the Mavericks, call it tighter against the Mavericks? Will it influence in any way? This has been going on for a half a century, yet there's never been, ever been a statement like this. You've heard about players who are getting attacked by referees who don't get along. You've heard about referees who have a quick whistle. Steve Javi, one of now, he's on the networks. He is analyzing referee calls. He had one of the greatest, quickest T whistles in the world. He had beefs with many different players and teams. Does that mean he was a bad referee? No. One of the best. He never once took it personally. Barkley had things with referees. It doesn't work that way when you're a referee. It does not. So we talk about integrity. What's the second biggest issue that we talk about now in this world? One, all of the gambling, all of the cheating. Number two, workplace the workplace environment. Adam Silver in his statement goes on to say, (laughs) this is amazing, right? Demeaning league employees also creates an intimidating workplace environment. Give me a break. What Adam Silver is saying is that these referees, it was demeaning that they get yelled at, as opposed to every play in the NBA. After every whistle, there's whining, there's complaining. That, to me, is way more demeaning than Mark Cuban, a character of a billionaire, walking onto a floor at the end of a game. He sits on the bench. He's in the locker room. I think he has his own locker, his own shower, whatever he has. He goes on the court, yells at the referees, and then leaves. You know what that's called in Dallas? A Tuesday. Okay. Uh, To all the Yankee fans out there, I've got a quick message for you. I'd like you to start panicking right now if you don't mind, about Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole had a game yesterday, and this is why I love social media and why I love fans. Garrett Cole gave up four home runs in a a spring training game, two to Miguel Cabrera in yesterday's game. Why is it that Yankee fans are surprised or upset or nervous, wondering whether the executives are nervous or surprised or upset, enough that we cover it here on CBS Sports HQ? Well, as a former executive, 18 years deep, I can only tell you, When Brian Cashman watches the game yesterday, the game ends, he gets a call from the training staff saying Garrett's fine, he goes home, he has dinner, takes a walk on the beach, goes to bed, and gets ready for tomorrow. It doesn't make one bit of difference to Brian Cashman or anyone who actually has a position within the Yankees that Garrett Cole gave up runs. If there's one thing we've taught you on CBS Sports HQ or on Nothing Personal, spring training for pitchers is used to prepare them to build up their arms. That's it. We never look at results of a number one or number two starter, ever. It makes zero difference. You want to make sure your arm is healthy, and you want to make sure it's built up. So all this talk about looking at box scores and results, stop doing it. No one within the game, if you want to be an MLB insider, Don't look at the Grapefruit League or Cactus League standings. Don't look at the final score of a game. Who got the win? Who got the loss? Who got the save? Don't look whether your favorite player went 2 for 4 or 0 for 3 or whether your pitcher has a 9 ERA because he gave up one run in one inning of work, which, by the way, for those of you without a calculator, would give you a 9 ERA. Executives don't care about any of that, ever. None of it. I'll tell you what we do care about, though. We care about Chris Sale, and we care about two words that uh, you've read yesterday and today. Chris Sale is a pitcher, as you know, for the Boston Red Sox. You may remember he signed a $145 million extension that starts this year. He signed it before last year, a year early, for no reason other than public pressure on the Red Sox who learned their lesson so well that they had to trade Mookie Betts, pay half a David Price to get David Price out of there because they actually signed J.D. Martinez and now Chris Sale. So Chris Sale has been hurt. He is a first-class number one ace starter, except when he's hurt, do you know that Chris Sale is about as good as I am? That's how many wins Chris Sale is worth to the Red Sox when he's not pitching. He might as well be David Sampson. He might as well have the arm strength of a four-year-old with the velocity that does ev- doesn't even reach 60. But it was announced that after a third opinion, everyone should keep calm and carry on because he's only going to miss 10 days with something called a flexor strain. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of deceit going on. He's going to miss a lot more than 10 days because a flexor strain as we like to talk about here in the studio of CBS Sports HQ, is called an ATJ. ATJ is short for almost Tommy John. That is what Chris Sale has. In my experience, flexor strains led to Tommy John's way more than they didn't. Flexor strain is the word you don't ever want to hear from your trainer because it's them saying NY to the TJ, but it's an A not yet to the Tommy John, but it's an almost. And that's where we are with Chris Sale. Because 10 days from now, they released, he's going to be back in 10 days. No. 10 days from now, he picks up a ball. Then he throws from 30 feet, 60 feet, 90 feet, 120 feet. Then he takes a mound. Then he throws from a bullpen. Then he throws another bullpen. Then another bullpen. Then maybe he faces a guy standing in the batter's box with no helmet on, just standing there with a bat, not even swinging. Then he throws it again. Then he may appear in a game after live BP, which is someone actually swinging off his pitches in the batter's box. The moral of my Chris Sale story is we've got a long way to go for him to take the mound in a regular season game. Remember, it was supposed to be two weeks for pneumonia. (laughs) They knew it wasn't pneumonia. That's like saying that someone has coronavirus when they've got a cuticle that they picked that leads to a little bit of blood and calling that the coronavirus. That's what it is to say that Chris Sale isn't pitching because he has pneumonia. All right, I I have a shorter show today uh, because I'm on my way to Marlins Park and I'm going to say goodbye to the Clevelander. The Clevelander is an area at Marlins Park that I had a part in. Uh, it was an idea that I had with the people who were running the Clevelander, which is a hotel here on South Beach in Miami. I say here, even though I'm in Fort Lauderdale, because I'm allowed to. I'm in South Florida. Generally, that's like being from Gary, Indiana and saying here when you're talking about Chicago. But the reality is that it was a part of a ballpark that was very Miami, very unique. It was a bar. It was a place where there was music. There were painted models. There was drinking. There was the over 21 set. It was like a nightclub after games. It was an exciting part of Marlins Park right behind left field. And am I telling you this because I was a part of it? No. I'm telling you because I went to it. Of course, not since I was let go. But before that, I would go to it all the time. And now it's gone. And the reason you've heard is just not the reason. So I'd like to tell you why the Clevelander Park, Clevelander is no longer at Marlins Park, so we can avoid any sort of misunderstanding or misconception that's out there. Is it true that Derek Jeter did not like the idea of having naked women in left field in Marlins Park? Maybe, maybe not. Totally irrelevant. Is it true that the Clevelander and the Marlins could not come to a financial agreement about the Clevelander staying at Marlins Park because they were not making enough money because the attendance was so light at Marlins Park? Ah, we've hit the truth. And I've been a part of that when I was running the team. When we made a deal with the Clevelander, we thought our attendance would be much bigger. We thought the team would be better. We thought that even in rebuilding times, that that sort of area in Little Havana would have been a complete huge moneymaker. And it was popular, and there were nights that it was rocking, but there were other times that it simply was empty. What happened is the Marlins could not and would not agree to any of the financial terms that the Clevelander was requiring. Because it was a losing money space. But instead of the Marlins coming clean to you, the fans, and saying, we are moving on because we couldn't come to an agreement. Instead, they tried to spin it by saying, we are going to make it a more fan-friendly place for fans to watch a game. Meaning kids can go, because now you can be under 21. We're going to make it a more usable space. That's just disingenuous. The Clevelander was completely friendly and usable. People loved going there. It's just that we haven't found a way. We have not found a way to get attendance up in Marlins Park the way it should be. We is now they. They've continued to not be able to find a way. All I ever ask of people when announcements are made, just tell us the truth. Because if not, they're gonna be watching nothing personal in CBS Sports HQ. Okay, the Chicago White Sox are getting a lot of attention and I wanna give them some. Not a lot, but some. They're getting a lot of attention because they're signing players to contracts. And we get very excited at HQ. We get very excited everywhere when players are signing. So just today, Juan Moncada, $50 million. Five years, $70 million. 70 million. That's a major expenditure by the White Sox. What an unbelievable job they're doing. That's the narrative that we're saying. Or secondly, Jose Abreu. $50 million, three years. Steve Cechek, $6 million, one year. They signed a reliever, a young, young, before arbitration reliever to a $16 million, five-year deal. People are saying how great it is to see the White Sox spend. So the biggest free agent they brought in was a guy catcher named Yasmani Grandal and someone to pitch to him, not Gio Gonzalez, but Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel, who's quite wealthy, had a team dinner, gets the whole team together, and he has his mom address the team. And this is the theme song for the White Sox, and it's their tagline, internally for the White Sox, because they believe this is their year. They won the World Series in 05. Jerry Reinsdorf has been criticized mercilessly for their lack of performance in recent years, not for lack of trying, in my opinion, but just for lack of execution. And by the way, I'm in that same boat, Jerry. We're rowing the same way, except you have ownership. So what he did was he took advantage of the Cubs doing nothing this offseason, thinking that he had an opportunity to once again, or for the first time, own Chicago. Then the Cleveland Indians window is closing, which it is. They should have traded their shortstop, a guy named Lindor, who they didn't trade. But the Indians clearly are no longer the favorites. The Minnesota Twins are, and the White Sox believe they have a chance to catch the Minnesota Twins. So they sign all these players, some veterans like Edwin Encarnacion, some young players, which means nothing because they would have been on the White Sox anyway. They put them all together, and they hope that they can meld into a playoff team, which they can't. But Dallas Keuchel goes to a dinner, pays for it all, which he should, and they get the tagline. The mother stands up. She looks at this entire team. This is Dallas Keuchel's mother. And she says, playoffs or die, bitches. What? What? This is Dallas Keichel's mom. I loved it. Except here's the problem with the tagline of playoffs or die. Number one, it violates my principle. This is not war. There are not lives at stake with whether you make the playoffs. There's money. There's pride. There's jewelry. But it's not life. But let's just say she's trying to be funny. Playoffs or die. I'm good with it. Let's say she uses that word that's a female dog. If I say it twice, they may make my key card no longer work here at HQ. But let's just say that she uses that word because it's for emphasis. The rule in sports, you only give a tagline when there is a reasonable chance of actually attaining that goal. The Chicago White Sox do not have a reasonable chance of making the playoffs. Whatever simulations you have seen, Whatever odds you have read, people within the industry look at the American League, they look at the division in the AL Central, and they say, listen, there's always a surprise team. Could it be the White Sox? They all say no. And the reason I say no is while we get excited to do full screens that include the name Gio Gonzalez or Dallas Keiko or Yasmani Grandal or Steve Ciszek, who are guys I know and are good names, Those are not huge impact players at all. That's the same type of impact. Why aren't we saying the Marlins have a chance with some of the names? Corey Dickerson, Jonathan Villar, Jesus Aguilar. It's the same type of names. Now, you're going to criticize and say there's way more war between Grandal and Keichel and Gio and Steve. And I'm saying, you can talk to me about all the war you want, but when you play 162 games... The cream will rise to the top, and the White Sox will be stuck somewhere in the middle, which is Jerry Reinsdorf's worst nightmare. He told me, and he was clear, never finish in the middle. I ignored him. We always finish in the middle. One year, we made the playoffs, won the World Series. Another year, we lost to Hundo. But generally, we were in the middle, winning between 79 and 85 games. That gets you nowhere. And what the White Sox did and what their narrative is of having spent $327 million, that's not enough to get them to the top. What would it have taken? A far more impactful pitching sign than Dallas Keuchel or Gio Gonzalez. You put a Garrett Cole on that team, then all of a sudden you may have a leader in the rotation. But if you think that Lucas Giolito is going to lead them to the playoffs, come on! So Dallas Keuchel, I love that you brought your mom. I really do. But playoffs or die? It's no playoffs. And I'm telling you, I really hope you don't die. Okay, so I get to watch a movie every day. And um, I'm on a a little streak here of of movies that um, have been really good. And I've been suggesting them to you. Jay and Silent Bob, I did not. Uh, So I have a couple in line because I missed yesterday's show for which I apologize. Thank you so much, by the way, for downloading, subscribing, for rating, reviewing, and everything you're doing, because uh, I hear you when you tell me that you missed the show. So I'm back, and I don't have SARS, but no one will talk to me. I watched a movie called Queen and Slim. Have you heard of it? Queen and Slim is a movie about two people who are on a Tinder date, they're on a Tinder date because he wants to meet women, and she doesn't want to be alone. I always thought Tinder was for sex, that you do a Tinder, you swipe right, like it's a guarantee you're going to have sex. So the beginning of this movie is him saying, hey, aren't we having sex now that we've had eat food? And she says no. So to me, that is absolutely a bad way to start the movie. Totally misunderstood what Tinder was, which is a note to self. So they're having a meal. They get in the car. He's still trying. All of a sudden, they get pulled over. Two black people get pulled over by a white cop. You know already this is not going to be good. I didn't read anything about the movie, but if you know movies, you know that two young black people being pulled over by a white cop, we're about to see racism, and we're about to see a problem. And boy, do we see a problem. What unfolds after that leads them to become Thelma and Louise, Bonnie and Clyde. They become basically, what's the word, cocoa? when you are um, outlaws? Thank you. Except he didn't say a word, of course, because he's not listening, because he's already working on yesterday's show. So they become outlaws trying to get from wherever they were in Louisiana all the way to Florida in an effort to escape to Cuba, no less, in order to not get caught, because they become the faces of all of the racial issues between cops and black people. They become heroes, they become people, they get cheered on, they get protected, they get helped. There's a huge bounty on their head, $250,000, or 50% of the Mark Cuban fine, or the equivalent of a $5 bill, a Lincoln to Cuban. That was the bounty. You think Mark Cuban turns anyone in for a Lincoln? Undoubt, undoubtful, undoubtful, indoubtful, undoubtedly untrue. I can't think of the word. It's happening. In any case, guess what happens? Someone does get the two hundred and fifty grand. It's worth watching. There are some unbelievable scenes as they grow from a lack of an exciting Tinder date as their relationship grows as they're running from the law. The problem I had is that these are not two people who ever would have been together other than the fact that they were forced into this partnership. And it led to their love only because there was no one else in the world and their view is their world was collapsing on them and they were down to a matter of days or hours. It's sort of like when you know the end of the world is coming, it really doesn't matter who you're next to. You're going to sort of hug them. And maybe try to have sex or do something. And it doesn't matter who it is because it's the end of the world. Right? That's what Queen and Slim is. Okay, I have a trade. Ladies and gentlemen, of nothing personal, I have a trade. Everyone get ready. It's a good trade, I think. I think, it'll, I think this can actually happen. Let me give you the background. We've done trades. I traded. I Damn it, we. When I was with the Marlins, I was the part of a trade where we traded Pablo Ozuna. Was it Pablo Ozuna? Can't remember who. To the Chicago White Sox for Ozzie Guillen. Not only did we give Ozzie Guillen 10 million dollars over four years, fire him after one horrible year where he cared more about bullfighting than about managing. He cared more to talk about Castro than to talk about season ticket holders. But we also traded a player for him. We traded Trevor Williams to Pittsburgh for Jim Benedict. If I don't have every Pittsburgh person listening to this show and saying thank you, writing in and rating me five stars just for that trade alone, we took a pitching guru who ended up knowing nothing either about pitching or being a guru. Our pitchers got worse under Jim Benedict. And that's not personal. That's just what happened. But we brought him in, traded Trevor Williams. Oh, my God, are we idiots. Idiots. I don't know why we did it. Juan Marinas and Osvaldo Martinez is, is who we had to trade to get Ozzie Guillen. Thank you, Coca. Pablo Azuna was much earlier than that. He, maybe he was on the White Sox after he was on the Marlins, Maybe Paolo Zuna was a Marlin once upon a time. We gave away two guys. Don't know if they made it or not. Doesn't matter. Trevor Williams is making it. In any case, so CBS pulls off a great coup. If, if paying a guy $17 million can be considered a great coup, and that's with a P at the end, Coca, in case you've never read that word. They sign $17 million, They got Romo. What does ESPN do? They're freaking out. They've got to replace their NFL Monday night analysts who are absolutely horrid. And that's not my opinion because I watch with no sound every sporting event. That's what I hear. They want to get Peyton Manning. They are willing to pay Peyton Manning reportedly more than Tony Romo makes. How angry is Tony Romo that he's becoming Manny Machado? He will have the record for the highest paid analyst for about a day and a half. If Peyton Manning says yes, would Peyton Manning really want to go to ESPN, ABC, and be the number one analyst, have to work every single Monday for 16 weeks plus playoffs for 20 large? I think he's going, Coco, what's the thing he does with that guy in the cowboy hat who's married to the daughter of the bride and father of the bride? Her name is Kimberly Williams. And she's married to a country music star who's in a commercial with Peyton Manning called Nationwide. Brad Paisley. Brad Paisley's married to Kimberly Williams, who's so cute and Father of the Bride, and in Indian Summer, by the way, which is one of my favorite movies. Her husband, I believe they're still married, is a guy named Brad Paisley, who is a country music singer. And... Peyton Manning does commercials with him, where my guess is, given what I know about endorsements, because I've seen these contracts, he makes quite a bit of money for doing this. So they need to offer him a hell of a lot to become a broadcaster. 20 million, good. But who do you pair him with? Here comes the story. They want Al Michaels. Al Michaels, who is the greatest play by play voice in history for me. In history. I'm sorry, Pat Summerall. I'm sorry, Bob Costas. I'm sorry, Vin Scully. Al Michaels, for me, is number one. Mount Rushmore of play-by-play, guys. This guy is five years away from being four score years old. Four score, Coca. How many years in a score? Does is Coca now. Coca, get in my ear. How many years in a score do you know? Don't Google it. Don't you Google it. Four score and seven years ago? It's 20 years, Coca. He's five years short of four score. He's 75. ABC has said they want to trade NBC for Al Michaels. Al Michaels is under contract for two more years at NBC. ABC wants to trade for Al Michaels. It is outstanding. Here's how the phone call goes. Okay. This this is not done at the lower level with scouts or with development people. This is right up to the president level. This is right at the top. Hey, um, yeah, what do you got on Al Michaels? I mean, are you going to be bidding for the NFL rights in a couple years? Are you, you know, this whole Sunday night game? Because, yeah, we really have an interest in Al Michaels. I'm sorry, who is this again? You, you, want, you want us to give you Al Michaels, to become the number one play-by-play guy on a competing network as we're about to go into a negotiating and new contracts with the NFL. Yes, that's who we want. And by the way, we will give you anything, anything, but we want Al Michaels. I'll call you right back. The head of NBC brings in his head of programming, sports, programming, entertainment. They sit down, and they come up with the perfect trade. They present it to ABC, and here it is. All right, get out your pens. If you're driving, just listen. I'm going to do it slowly because it's a very complicated—it's not a three-way. I mean, what's better than a three-way? But we're not going to involve CBS. Two-way. Al Michaels— goes from NBC to ABC. In return, NBC gets Scott Van Pelt, Shonda Rhimes, and The Bachelor. Not The Bachelorette because, no, 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 NBC wants quality. They're getting Scott Van Pelt, Shonda Rhimes, and The Bachelor. So they call up NBC, NBC calls up ABC, and they say, "Um, hey, here's the trade. ABC says, all right, we'll get back to you, because ABC wants Al Michaels. They say, is it worth it? Should we give up Scott Van Pelt plus Shonda Rhimes and The Bachelor? And they say, listen, we're going to need more internally. We're going to need more than Al Michaels. So they call up NBC and they say, hey, this is actually how trades go, by the way. This is actually how they go. Hey, all right, we can do Van Pelt, Rhimes, and The Bachelor, but we're going to need more than just Michaels. We're going to need more. NBC gets together and they say, all right, all right. Here's what we're willing to offer in addition to Al Michaels. So the final trade is Scott Van Pelt, Shonda Rhimes, and The Bachelor for Al Michaels. And you get to choose one of Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, or Chicago Med. And that's my last offer. It's so absurd it makes me laugh. It literally makes me laugh. We tried to trade players. Do you know when we did our franchise swap in 2002, when we sold the Expos to baseball, bought the Marlins from John Henry, John Henry sold the Marlins and bought the Red Sox. John Henry called one day as owner of the Marlins, and he said, listen, I'm happy to do this franchise swap, but I want Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett at that time was a young player who was really going to be really good, we thought. Everybody thought. Big-time prospect. It's a big-time show. Scott Van Pelt. We responded, hey, you can have Josh Beckett, but we're coming to Florida. We want Vladimir Guerrero. And MLB stepped in, the commissioner stepped in and said, forget this. There's no way. We said, then we're not doing the deal. John Henry said, we're not doing the deal. We negotiated with the Red Sox a full—the Red Sox, excuse me—with the Marlins, with John Henry. He's now with the Red Sox. We, the Expos, and the then Marlins negotiated a full trade of current players plus prospects that would be switching teams within this entire framework. At the time when it first started, John Henry was not going to buy the Red Sox. He was actually, this is, I don't know that you've heard this before. Coke, if you have, tell me and I'll stop. He was actually going to buy the Los Angeles Angels, who were then called the California Angels. It was not the Red Sox. The swap was the Expos, the Marlins, and the Angels. He wanted Josh Beckett with him on the Angels. Not going to happen. Ironically, he ended up getting Josh Beckett on the Red Sox and won a ring with him. So these sort of trades where you add, you take away players, they, it, it happens. And if you think that Al Michaels is getting a straight-up trade to NBC, from NBC to ABC, you're just wrong, dead wrong. It's not going to happen. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Okay. Um. Ooh. This was a great, so you want to talk to Samson. Thank you. This is right 85 down the middle on a T. You, you tweeted at me at David P. Samson, and you uh, DM'd me which is the my DMs are public. I answer as many as I can, but you can tweet at me, follow me, tell your friends, relatives, enemies, anybody. We're an equal opportunity shop here at Nothing Personal. So in Savannah, which happens to be one of the most beautiful places in the world where I have family, Savannah, Georgia, uh, they've got a stadium called Grayson Stadium. And they've decided this year that they are going to have a completely ad- free stadium. What do I mean? Like when you go to a stadium and you know what's on the uh, outfield wall, you know what you hear in between innings, you know what you see on the scoreboard. Those are advertisements that companies pay the team to put up their sign or put up their logo, or sometimes you get a promotion bobblehead sponsored by Ford or someone sponsored by Geico, or you've got an outfield wall that just says, Hilton, whatever the case is, those are companies paying the team for that. And so the question asked of me is what are my thoughts of the first ever ad-free ballpark and would I ever do it? The claim by the team is that fans don't wanna be advertised to. That is what the Savannah baseball team said publicly. Fans don't wanna be advertised to. We all know that's true. But that is a violation. That is a, you get put in the corner and spanked and lose your job. We never tell anybody that fans don't want to be advertised to because we want their money. And we want them to think that you are more apt to use their products because they are advertising and associated with your team, your stadium, your product. Why do you think... Companies spend $5.6 million during the Super Bowl for a 30-second ad? Do you think they do it because they think that we don't pay attention or that you're not having a general thought in your head that given the choice between a company whose ad you have seen versus a company whose ad you haven't, that you'd rather go with the company whose good ad you've seen? This is tried and true. You think pop-up ads on the internet. You know those annoying things that when you're online and you're trying to go to a website and you're like, let's say you have a five minute window to go to a website super quickly and then you've got to hurry up and leave. And all of a sudden there's all these pop-up ads, right? And you get totally annoyed by them. And almost you say to yourself, I'm purposefully not going to use those products. That's one side. But stadium advertising, Super Bowl advertising, commercial advertising is the opposite of pop-up ads. You actually look at them and subliminally, you feel, say, feel and say to yourself, this is a product that I could associate with. So what the club is saying in Savannah that fans don't want to be advertised to, people will never forget they said that. Not the fans, the people who actually give them money to do the advertisements. So you're asking me, would I ever do it? Not a chance because I can't replace that revenue with anything. Now I could tell you that by not advertising, I would be losing, let's say $30 million a year. Do you think that I'm going to get 30 million more in ticket revenue because new fans are going to walk in the door because, oh my God, there's no advertisements here. This is amazing. I'm now coming to your game because there's no ads. $30 million worth of people, it's never going to happen. I would never do it. It's a stunt. And the only reason they could do the stunt is their total advertising revenue must have been about $1.75. That I could replace. Thanks. I didn't hear what you said, Coca. I've got five things. He just said dealer's choice. I got so many things I want to talk about and I'm going to save some for tomorrow, but there's one that's close to me because it bothers me. And we're going to talk about it. Tomorrow's Saturday. That's a very good point. And by Monday, it'll be too old, is my guess. That bothers me, Koki. You're making me choose. Okay. The Los Angeles Angels fired their clubhouse manager for helping opposing pitchers cheat today. I want to go on record right now. And I really didn't know that I'd get to this because I'm angry. Um, let me just look in the camera, look in the microphone and tell you. If every clubhouse manager, either visiting or home, were held to the standard that they had to do something that did not aid in a bet in any sort of cheating of any kind on or off the field, there would be a total of zero clubhouse managers. Zero. Not 50, not 40, but Zero. If you think that the clubhouse manager in Los Angeles is the only man who is helping pitchers with any sort of substance or helping players in any sort of other way, then you don't know baseball because you're not on the inside, which is why you subscribe to nothing personal. Every clubhouse manager, the main job is to do whatever the player wants, including getting vegan players McDonald's. Including getting players' phone numbers from the girl or the guy in the fourth row above the dugout by throwing a special ball, which we always had. We always had balls that you could write with pens that would never smudge, that, oh, coincidentally, have the private phone number of the player or the executive. This is not news to people inside. Pine tar. Suntan lotion. We talked about this. We had an entire tray in the training room of suntan lotion for Marlins Park, which has a roof. And it's not because I belong to the Academy of Dermatologists. It's their job. But right now, baseball is trying so hard to overcome the Astros cheating scandal. They're trying so hard to bring back integrity, to show punishment that they single out an equipment manager, a clubhouse manager for one team for giving pitchers devices like pine tar and other substances that help them get a better grip of the ball so they can throw better breaking balls. Give me a break. Don't single people out. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to do it, just do it. If you're going to do it, do it right. Pick of the day. I'm watching a doubleheader tonight, and if you're listening to this after Friday, which I appreciate, because little did I know, and I'm using that alliteration properly, little did I know that if you listen to this on a day that's not today, it still counts as listening in terms of the metrics that can be used by my agent. So I don't care when you're listening to this, but please listen. Olita Adams. Olita Adams. Do you know what that is? That's a song called Get Here. You can get here by airplane, train, I don't care. Just get here if you can. That's how I feel about you. Listen, I appreciate it. I don't care how you do it. So I'm watching a doubleheader Friday, today, March 6th. We're watching the Heat play the Pelicans. Great game, important game. And then we're watching the two best teams in basketball. We are watching Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks take on Antonio Davis and the Los Angeles Lakers. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know it's LeBron James. <laughs> and I know it's Anthony. I think you had to be there to watch, see my face when I totally said Antonio Davis, totally purposely, because for loyal fans of Nothing Personal, I actually did not know the names as recently as like a month ago. But I got it now. Pick of the day, I'm coming off two straight wins, including yesterday when I did submit my pick to Coca, which was the Clippers over the Rockets in Houston, and I have proof of that. I've got a Google document. I've got it timed. It's right here. I demand credit for it. I'm 18-23, and 23, not 17-23, and 23, but Coca's not giving me credit because it wasn't on the show. I had a sickness yesterday, Coca, but I still had the Clippers. Today, I'm doing the Bucks. Why am I taking the bucks plus one? Here's the reason. It's sort of simple. I'm taking the better player and the better team. For me, Giannis is the better player today. Not of all time. Not even close. Giannis has about five. How many titles does LeBron have? Five? Three? Three titles. Giannis is three titles short of LeBron. He's eight finals appearances short. Is he three and five LeBron in the finals? I think. So he's eight finals appearances short, which means he's eight conference championships short. So Giannis, is, has, Giannis has a lot of work to do. But as I sit here today watching games, he's three and six, Ruben? Thank you. Ruben's got kicks. Is that the Twitter handle? What is it? Ruben talks kicks. Ruben talks kicks. I've never seen a guy spend a higher percentage of his own salary on sneakers. Literally. I hope they keep him warm at night. Ruben talks kicks. He's a great writer, a great digital line producer, but he's got his complete head in the sand because he's a Laker guy. Bucks plus one over the Lakers. It's a big game for the Bucks, and I want to see him win. So my wait to see. So wait to see is something we've done every day that we have a show, and then we keep track of whether or not it actually happens, and we will come back to you, and I promise we will come back to you. There is a lot of talk going on all over sports media, pundits everywhere. Is LeBron the MVP of the NBA? Is Giannis the MVP of the NBA? It's actually, to me, the greatest race we have right now is who will be the MVP. There are perfect arguments for both. Giannis is the best player, but is he the MVP? LeBron is the second best player of all time, and what he's doing at his age is spectacular. Is he the MVP? I've got the perfect way to solve it and it's my way to see. I'm giving the MVP to either Giannis or LeBron based on who wins the game tonight in March. Giannis will win the game and cover and then win the MVP. But if I'm wrong because you fade me, which you always do, and the Lakers win and cover, that means, guess what? LeBron will win the MVP. And Adam Silver, With his new $500,000, he'll look right at Giannis, right at LeBron. He'll look at the loser, and he'll say, ha, it was just business for me. It was nothing personal.